Good morning, Beth. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Two weeks of uh, upper respiratory infection. You know, I'm ready for this thing to be done. Yeah, I went oh. through it too. It was miserable. Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah. My whole house it. Just can't shake it. You know, so if there's a time where I have to like get into a coughing fit, I'm just going to mute my camera and mic and you just keep on talking, you know. <laughs> um, it's hard to get <laughs> Good. Well, that's good. I'll make my job a lot easier, you know. So it's fine. I'm, I'm so glad we finally got a chance to find the time to, to meet and talk. Absolutely. I love that you post in group. I think everybody needs to be able to, uh, you know, get every opportunity they can to get their work out there. I, I, I agree. That's that's one thing I'm going to talk to you about, um, ask you about, you know, your, your by the author thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing that story and hearing more about it. And All right. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, officially start the show and we'll get going. Sounds good. All right. Hey, this is Mark Justice, and welcome back to Between the Lines. Today, we have a fun show with author Beth Hildenbrand, who's a fantasy and horror writer. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good. I'm happy to have you on. Um, it took some miscommunications and wires and crossing things a few times before we finally got together, but I know it's going to be worth it. So even if it's just me, I think we're going to have a good time. <laughs> So, you know, I'd like to start with something kind of broad, um, since this is just, you know, not just about writers, but the importance of reading as well, because most of us who are writers grew up reading and the love of reading, you know, is usually how we become writers. So um, who are some of your favorite writers? Ooh. Oh, my, let's see. Uh, well, I started out with historical romances, of course, when I was a teenager. Uh, but uh, then I kind of shifted into mysteries. I loved Barbara Michaels, who is also Elizabeth Peters. And uh, then I kind of fell into, you know, the whole Dean Koontz and Stephen King and all those good guys. And... Uh, Wow, uh, but I'll tell you what, I, I love indie authors now. They're just, I, I kind of, you know, would hang in my own genre, things I liked, and it's nice with the indie authors because you read to review people's books. And so it's really opening things up for like Westerns. I never thought I would read a Western. I love to watch them, but didn't think I'd read one. And I'm enjoying all kinds of things. So that's great. That's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to to read things that you didn't think you would want to read and, and find those pleasant surprises in there, you know, being exposed to different types of literature and different genres, I think is important to knowing about the genre itself, having some experience with that. And you might come away thinking, wow, you know, like Louis L'Amour is a wonderful Western writer. Um, and uh, so I'm not sure what kind of Westerns you have been reading, but um, well, that's awesome. Yeah, I enjoy it. And the poetry, of course. Uh, I love poets. Mm -hmm. So you said you started as a teenager with historical romances. Um, do you, yeah. was there a time period that you liked more than another? 
wow. No, I, I kind of, you know, well, I, my dream when I was a kid was to be an Egyptologist. So I go way back, way back. The all time periods are good for me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think that's why uh, uh, Elizabeth Peters wrote a lot of uh, the Amelia Peabody books about a lady archaeologist back in the 1800s. Okay. And, and those were a lot. So, yeah, I, that's the kind of thing I enjoyed. That's interesting um how that book influenced what you want to do and i think a lot of kids probably growing up might have been influenced by in the same way by movies like um, raiders of the lost ark or jurassic park you know when i was young watching horror movies um watching the mummy especially the uh the hammer mummies um you know that thought of going into egypt and finding tombs and digging up mummies was really cool and scary because I expected them to come to life and try to kill me, you know, but no, I, I love that. That's, that's awesome. Um, can you remember some of your favorite books when you were younger, before you started reading the fan, the historical romance, like when you were a child, like some of, some of the things that you remember reading when you were very young? Well, uh, let's see, National Velvet and Black Beauty and, uh, oh shoot, you know, all the, all the classics. I enjoyed when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, hiding under the blanket with a flashlight reading when I was supposed to be asleep. So yeah, I always enjoyed books. It, my aunt used to tell a story about how they'd have to scoop the books out of my bed at night to put me in it because it was just covered with books. Mm -hmm. I think that was back to the whole golden book space. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, I, I, I completely get that. Um, you know, one of the best gifts my parents ever gave to me, um, you know, I was read to from the womb. I, I could read before I went to kindergarten. And so I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm there at kindergarten and everyone, we're learning our ABCs. I'm like, what the hell? Why aren't they, I mean, why aren't these kids reading, you know, <laughs> not knowing how special the gift it was um, to, to be able to read at that age, you know, but that started my love for reading and, and books of all kinds. And, you know, uh, some of my best, most memorable Christmas presents growing up were like packs of books, you know, classics, H.G. Yes. Wells and Mary Shelley and, you know, all these classic science fiction and horror stuff that I would just voraciously tear into, you know. Yes, I even would get horror comics when I was young. Everybody read comic books back then. Nobody does anymore. But they used to have these great horror comics mm -hmm. back in the day. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, God, I loved them. Yeah, I, I love, you know, I read them. They were reprints, but, you know, entertaining comic, comics from the 50s, EC comics, you know, like Weird mm -hmm. Tales and, and Tomb of Horror, Vault of Horror, all, all these really graphic, violent, horrible comic books from the <laughs> 1950s. Those were just fantastic. Um, and then growing up, I would read like Boris Karloff Tales of mystery or all these like soft softer horror ghost stories in the 70s dc and marvel both did a lot of ghost kind of comic books and yeah i couldn't get enough monster books i mean i also loved like morbius the vamp living vampire and man wolf um the living mummy tomb of dracula all those marvel comic books anything with a monster you know i'm i'm their monster kid you know so i totally get that yeah, it was fun. It was a fun childhood. I, I have to 
thank my mother tremendously. She always had shelves full of books and she never, you know, whatever you want to read, she never uh, censored my reading. That's good. That's so, how you know what you like and that's how we, yeah. we grow, you know. Well, that's awesome. So you write horror fantasy, you know, uh, not to put a too fine of a point on it, elements of both. Um, how would you define what you write? Uh, but do you remember back in the day they had those fractured fairy tales? And they were like, you know, little, uh, little cartoons. Yeah, from Bullwinkle and Rocky. Oh, yeah, those are yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I think of it kind of like a fractured Bible tales. <laughs> I, I kind of twist the Bible to, uh, to suit my own needs, which most people do, to be quite honest. Yeah, but, they make money. Yeah, and the Bible's pretty twisted as it is. You know, I mean, is. we got I talking mean, snakes and magic trees and, and daughters raping their, raping their father and, uh, you know, getting knocked up and, and him claiming, I didn't know I was banging my daughters. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you're that, yeah, if you're that drunk that you don't know you're having sex with your daughters, I'm sorry, but the equipment ain't going to work. I'm sorry. It's just, that's not going to happen. But anyway, <laughs> the bible actually <laughs> not that the bible i mean okay i don't mean to sound like the heretic i am but yes i think all good fiction starts with the bible yeah, well you know and it, uh, it, 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 yeah. so it was uh if it's written down you believe it sure and yes. uh, they didn't like me saying okay now explain this this doesn't make sense to me <laughs> right and they point so, you to the scripture lean not to your right, own understanding yeah, yeah. You're not supposed to question. I I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian household and Christ church, so same kind of doctrine and dogma. I completely get it. Absolutely. Take the Bible literally, you know, but taking it literally causes all kinds of cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, and that's took me forty years to kind of come out of that. You know, where I'm the healthy apostate now. You know, so I, I get what you mean, man. I get it. So back to your. So you got the Twisted Bible Tales, um, uh, which, which, I mean, you had me at Twisted Bible Tales. Um, <laughs> what, what makes a good horror or horror fantasy story to you? Um, that there's some kind of, uh, you know, you go with the what if. Uh, like uh, with Cain, my, my book, for example. Now, if you look back, okay, uh, God marked Cain. He had to wander forever. Okay, so he's still out there walking around. Uh, and uh, if you actually look in the Bible, it will tell you the, the age of all the, you know, uh, lines of uh, bloodlines. And you never, and it, it shows you, you know, age of death. They, they never show any for Kate. Why? Well, maybe because he's still out there wandering around. So if you can pick that little speck of what if, and twist it into, hey, maybe. I think that's where you get a good story. The ultimate speculative fiction. Yes. Right. <clears throat> I mean, that's, a, that's the basis of where all good science fiction comes from, all good fantasy. What if there were a civilization in the center of the earth? What if we could travel to the moon? Or You know, all those things. That's, you know, that's classic, the beginnings of classic genre 
you know, um, I like that. Are there um, any other genres that you would like to write? Well, right now, I'm just about finished editing my new book, Death Right, and it's pure horror. Uh, it's about an indie author who, uh, what she ends up being uh, tormented by a demon who manages to uh, pick her brain for the horror novel, you know, pick her brain for the stories she's written and use them against her to torment her. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. I'm having a good time with it. Oh. No, I just had to, like I said, I had to take off <clears throat> just for a second. I don't want to be distracting you. Um, <laughs> for those of you who may not know, uh, I've got a lovely upper respiratory infection, um, two weeks now. So if you see me shutting my camera off, it's just because I don't want you to have to see all the stuff that's coming out of me. So there we go. <laughs> Other than my normal brilliance, you know, um, well, that sounds a lot of fun. Um, working in horror. Uh, what is it about horror that appeals to you as a genre? Well, for me personally, um, like I said, it was, you know, the comics growing up as a kid. Uh, my dad, one time, we were at the mall. I was a little kid. And uh, it was Halloween. And they had this coffin outside the Five and Dime store. And I was like, oh, I want to see that. I want to see that. My dad lifted me up to look in the coffin. And a vampire jumped up out at me. Scared me to death. And it was like, okay, from that minute on, I had to conquer this fear. And, and that's what I did. You know, I just started drowning myself in horror until I no longer feared it. And uh, then it just became, you know, a passion, something that uh, I enjoyed. And the more I got into it, the more it then hey, yeah, I've got a dark side or I never would have said, hey, dad, lift me up so I can see that coffin. <laughs> sure. No, no, no. Right. When you're writing horror, how do you know you've written something horrific? Uh, like, do you have a litmus test that you have to pass? Like, oh, well, yeah, this one. Okay, this is pretty creepy. Uh, I think it's uh, when I freak myself out. <laughs> and I end up dreaming about it later that night. Or uh, it comes to me from a dream. A lot of my stuff is nightmares. Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, I wake up and, okay, grab the pen and, and pencil and write it down quick so you don't forget it by morning. I, it, I've just always, uh, you know, had bad dreams. I don't sleep good. So I take that and it, it's kind of a way to exercise my own demons. And I feel that if I can put the fear I had from that nightmare into the book then it's it's a good story because if it scares the bejesus out of me it's going to scare the bejesus out of somebody else if i do it right anyway right and that's the thing you know the, we're creating images and feelings with nothing but words you know and some that's a challenge in and of itself you know and and i think i think the more 
flowery words you put on it, sometimes the more you can, you take away from it. Sometimes mm -hmm. just the starkness of the description. But like with, with class, I would rather watch a Vincent Price horror movie than one they have today because you have to imagine, you have to use your imagination. So if I can get somebody to use their imagination and, and picture this on their own, then I'm doing it right. Mm -hmm. If I have to uh, put blood, 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 then, uh, you know, there's no real kick to it. Yeah, it's like um, reading Lovecraft in a way. You know, there's, you have to have something. The imagination is far more terrifying than what description can be, a writer can give. Um, there, there's a couple of good modern horror films out there. I'm not sure if you watch modern horror, but I'm going to recommend The Witch. I'm not sure if you've heard of that or seen it. I've seen that. That blew my mind, actually. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good. Really creepy. Atmospheric. Um, and there are a few other ones out there. We'll, we'll talk more after the show. But yeah, The Witch is really good. Uh, the Babadook, I thought, was very creepy. Um, I didn't sleep for two days. And because you never see it. You know what I mean? It, right. Yeah. You, and eventually, you see these little shadowy things. And it's, yeah, very creepy. Yeah. Yes. I love that. So was there a moment or something uh, that made you want to first start writing? Can you remember what it was that flash in your brain that says, yeah, you know, I, I love these stories. I think now I want to start writing my own. Oh, well, I've been doing it since I was little. I remember sitting on the front porch and I would just in my head sound out words, you know, when I'm small. And then I'd take them in my mom and say, does this say what I wanted to say? Uh, but uh, I think I was in the fifth grade and I wrote a play. <laughs> It, it, it's always been there but finally I uh my kids were older and I had Kane in my head for a very long time and I just okay I'm gonna do it just for me just to get it out of my system you know I this story has been in my head for 10 years I'm just gonna put it down on paper and then uh somebody told me well you know you can publish books on Amazon and I was like you can do what uh, yeah, you can do that. A friend of mine did it. I was like, okay. So I checked this out. And when I first put Kane out, oh, it was a mess. I edited it, everything on my son's high school computer. <laughs> so it was really raw. But, uh, you know, there's nothing like the sense of accomplishment when you do this. And I got some good reviews from other authors. Because I, I don't know, when I review a book, I don't pick apart the editing. I want a good story. You, so you have a few little editing blurbs or, or whatever. Yeah, I'm going to overlook that. If you can tell me a good story, that's a good book to me. So, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. It, it, was, uh, it was just something I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And I did. <clears throat> that's great. Yeah, Katie... KDP has been a complete disruptor uh, of the publishing industry, um, which I love. You know, we don't have to have publishing houses anymore. You don't have to be a published author um, to become legitimate and to have your work out there. And, and like you, there are so many good indie writers out there. And, you know, 
when I, I did some research for a paper I wrote last year um, about publishing and indie publishing and KDP and found out some really terrible, you know, I don't know if terrifying is the word, but just surprising facts about publishing. Most books are published by publishing houses um, sell only about 200 copies a year, uh, maybe a thousand copies in their lifetime. And most of the writers never make back the advance. They never make more than the advance that they're given, you know, on that book. And uh, only the big writers, like the 5%, you know, Stephen King's and those kind of writers make the money. And so, um, you know, most, most authors, I mean, there's no, there's no really downside to becoming an, a self-published writer because you can control your content, you control your cover, you do your own editing and publishing houses aren't helping you market anymore like they used to. Um, so you have to do your own marketing anyway. So why not complete, why not retain control over your product? Well, I tried the publisher. I, I had one for about a year and I hated every minute of it. It was like, no, I don't see it that way. Oh, but this is what we have to do to sell. Okay. So the cover is, is nothing like the way I see it in my mind. And, uh, and well, okay, where, where are we at? What's going on with the book? Oh, well, yada, yada, yada. Okay, no, I, I can look on my, my KDP and find out exactly what's happening with my book when I do it. And then you get this uh, little uh, marketing report where they tell you, oh, you got so many hits on, on Facebook and Twitter. And you, you know what? I can do that myself and get even more than what you're doing for me. Thank you very much. So, yeah, I, uh, I kind of let the contract expire and, and went back to doing it myself. And quite honestly, I enjoy the interaction with other writers and, and I enjoy having control over what I'm doing and, and being able to go and see exactly what my book is doing, you know, where my ranking is, yeah, what my sales are. And when somebody else is in charge, you can't do any of that. No. And you know, they keep <clears throat> until they decide, okay, it's time to send you a little report. Nah. Yeah. And you make a lot more money per sale through self-publishing. You know, yeah, they were taking 20%. Okay. Well, no, that's, you know, you're not doing much for that 20%. Right. That I can do for myself. Yeah. No, I, I get yeah. it. I'm, I'm a staunch advocate of self-publishing. I've had people who were just starting out and they were hoping to get a publisher and that was the fantasy because that's how it's always been. And I was, discourage him i said look your chances of you getting accepted by a, an agent are about one percent and chances of you getting accepted into a publisher are about one to two percent so wh why why not just get your work out there you know and they were hesitant at first because they thought it somehow diminished their abilities i'm like no you're a good writer so kdp is there for for this purpose you know get your book out there and now they're all like very much advocates of self-publishing i'm like see it, it, it works out for everybody so it's a wonderful service you know and and uh no i totally get it it's a disruptor okay i'm gonna you know the, the big writers okay so uh you know, we have harvard degrees or uh you know we have a doctorate in this and and they want to put out these these uh half half a uh, sentence line words that people have to look up to understand their books and you know I I get frustrated with those people and then sometimes I think 
okay, do you think I'm too dumb to understand this? Yeah, you know, when I, when I'm reading some big shot book. Uh, and so I try not to do that, you know, to use these astronomical words nobody has heard of. And uh, I had my editor with the last book said, do you think you readers will understand this? I don't even remember what the word was. And I was like, yeah, I do. You know, my, my writers aren't stupid. I mean, my readers aren't stupid. Uh, yeah, every now and then, you know, there's a word that you need to use because it, it fits the situation. But uh, I just, like I said, to me, it, it's good because you get to tell your story and, and people would rather have a good story than a story that's, uh, you know, perfectly polished and, uh, and they feel is, you know, uh, I don't want to say snotty or above their heads or, or things like that, but some of them are. And uh, I just think uh, maybe it kind of spoils it for the reader. Yeah, it's, there are genres that are more literary, but, you know, I taught English for a long time and I would tell my students the point of writing, especially in academic writing, is to communicate clearly and effectively. So if you have a great command of the language, don't be afraid to use it. But most most of you probably don't. I'm not saying that you're dumb, but why say cerulean when you can say blue? You know, if you don't, because most often, especially young writers, use words that make they think will make them sound more intelligent, but they misuse those words. And, and it sticks out like a sore thumb that's being hit with a hammer you know, just beaten, and they don't understand that using those words actually works against them. And so my mantra has always been, that's why I'm attracted to plain language, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Um, and so, but if, you know, I don't, I don't worry about that when I'm writing, I, I try to use the language that's appropriate. Like, you know, I have no, I have no problem, but I have also no need to try to sound pretentious or pompous. It's like, you know, I have no ego here. I'm just trying to tell a story. You know, I don't need to use a word that makes me sound, look at me. Ooh, I've got a degree. It's like, who cares? You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you said what I was trying to say incoherently. Thank you very much. <laughs> I get nervous doing these things. Oh, really? Well, you would never know. Yeah. Um, well, I hope, you know, we're all good friends. We're just relaxing, having fun. Um, I would like to switch gears a little bit and okay. talk about world building. Um, it's something that all you know writers who write fiction often do. So um, how do you design your world? Wow. Uh, it's where I am, to be quite honest. My books are set in the town I grew up in, what the Kane books are. Uh, and I just kind of bring, you know, the story. A lot of Kane is set in a bar that my dad used to go to down the street from the house. Uh, and the new book, Death Rights, is uh, actually set in my house. And I have an old carriage house out, out behind the house. This the home I live in was the first house built on the entire street. It's about 200 years old. Falling down around me, but I love it to pieces. 
and uh, we have a carriage house out back. And so mm -hmm. I thought I'm even going to put a picture of the carriage house into the book because it's all right here. It's, it's, it's my world. And I just add my stories to it. So that's how I build my worlds. They're, uh, they're the familiar. I had a teacher used to tell me, Mary Beth, write your story. It's interesting. So I kind of, you know, took a little bit of that uh, of myself. And then I just kind of add on to it. Having that. A lot of my people, my friends. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot oh, of my like characters the... And the people I kill off are my enemies. <laughs> people I don't There's, care for. There is something very yeah. cathartic to uh, <laughs> killing characters off who are, in your mind, based on real people. <laughs> oh, well, you pissed me off killing you in a book. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that someone um, probably... a would say it's not healthy, but I said, well, given the choice between writing them off and really offing them, you know, you know, <clears throat> but, you know, um, you talk, you know, setting your, your world in, in, in reality, that's like the first thing that you're taught in any kind of like writing class, creative writing classes, you know, write what you know, and having a world setting that is based in what you know, and, and you're actual life setting it allows for you to connect to those places with memories and things like that that will ground the story into a reality that may be very real for you but just as real for the readers um i i, I my cozy mysteries series is set in my old hometown that i grew mm -hmm. up in names have changed places are different but it it's my memories of that town and the way it looks and things i like about that town and a lot of the main characters memories um, are mine, you know, and it was just easy to connect my life and, and talk about as she connects back with her hometown. It was just very easy to ground that. So it, it makes for a very easy way to write about them, but it also makes it feel very real for the readers because it is real, you know? Well, uh, Kane, uh, Kane calls himself Kane Adamson which is Kane Adams' son, obviously. And the town I grew up in is Adams Town. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, clicked right in there. And mm -hmm. uh, Adams Town is actually like the antique capital of the world. Uh, so it, I don't know if you ever heard long ago when the guy found the Declaration of Independence behind a picture in his attic. And okay. yeah, it was right here. So, uh, you know, he's an antique <laughs> and he lives in you know with the antique town and adams town and it all kind of gelled together really well too to uh to are we frozen oh you were okay. frozen there for a minute yeah you were talking about it all gels into something and then it just literally gelled it froze up <laughs> so yeah it's a uh, it, it went really well. It, it did the story well. Yeah, that's nice. That's good. Um, where is Adamtown? Where, what state are we in? Uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, it's good to have those 
real settings with a little bit of tweaks. You know, it, it just makes it, it helps you as a writer get, get things into, into place and perspective. You know, it's not like you're a, you know, some fantasy writers create worlds, you know, whole cloth and that that's a whole separate endeavor. You know, it's, those are ongoing kind of exercises that they develop as they go and to try to make their worlds rich and believable, you know, but uh, no, I, I like to, you know, just pick it out of, out of my memory. Sure. It, you can describe the street they're walking down perfectly because you walk down that street a million times yourself. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it helps to let a little bit of authenticity to something that is not quite authentic. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about your characters. Um, how do you create and develop your characters? Uh, well, sometimes I think I have too many. <laughs> There's a, I, I was doing a thing the other day, kind of trying to make a video uh, with the different characters and came and I don't know. They were just there. <laughs> they they just come out and I, and then I said to somebody the other day on an interview, the new book was kind of weird when I started doing Death Rites. I had been with Kane and my characters for so long. I mean, it's like six years, <laughs> and it just me and them. And when I had new characters, it was almost like trying to get to know somebody you know, trying to uh, get attached to strangers. But uh, my characters, you know, uh, there's uh, an angelic assassins, uh, okay? And and they uh, guard Cain. Cain is the key to the gates of hell. And uh, so it, the, the assassins are the seven heads of the seven churches of Israel who were made into angels uh, just specifically to guard the key to the gates of hell. It's so it's a lot of, like I said, it's a fractured Bible story. Uh, you got to wonder just, uh, on those kinds of things. I'm sorry, Beth. I mean, um, my, my mind goes to like, I, I start thinking, why, why make, why make keys? You know, I mean, who, why, why do you need to let, why do you need to have a set of keys? to get into hell you know um that's where my mind wanders like wouldn't you save yourself a whole lot of problems if you just didn't make the door lock you know but anyway i'm sorry um because you see eve (laughs) this is where cain came from cain is not the son of adam and eve cain is the son of eve and lucifer (laughs) um the apple was not an apple. It was Lucifer. And so he was tempted by Lucifer. Cain is the heretic son because he is the son of Lucifer. He was able to kill because he had uh, that part of Lucifer in him. So <laughs> that's kind of where the story, you know, Cain originates. And uh, so, yeah, you also have uh, Lucifer in there and he needs Cain. Uh, to uh, open the gates of hell and and bring him to earth his son must join him by his side for this to be accomplished like it's it, like i said it's, uh, it's a fractured bible story no, no, in a big it, way. it sounds it sounds awesome you know i mean i can almost 
almost smell it, you know, the sulfur, oh. you know, <laughs> uh, no, that, that's, that's, a, it's, a, it's an apocalyptic, it's a big story. I mean, it's like the omen and, and you know, all those, the biblical based stories, I think can be some of the most awesome and creepy stories because growing up as a kid, you're taught this is all real and, you know, those spiritual things are going to happen. Um, and it's larger than life. You know, this is a grand spectacle. So, no, I think that's an awesome storyline. Um, and, uh, no, I, I love how you're taking it and twisting it. You know, I mean, it's it's nothing different than what Dan Brown did with, you know, with the Gnostic Gospels and, you know, his stories. Basically, you know, so it you're just reinterpreting, you know, these meanings, um, symbolism. Because that's really what they are. These are symbols, and and what they could mean. Um, now it's interesting that you uh, had to use this character Cain, the literal Cain. I years ago started working on a, a horror novel called The Curse of Cain, and it really ties into more of a like a a zombie virus, you know, kind of a related to Ebola kind of a thing. Because I'm thinking, what was the mark that he gave them? And thinking that would cause something that would cause like skin lesions or marks. It was just making a connection. And uh, it, it involved actually finding the literal skull of Cain, which then has this Ooh. kind of plague in it, uh, on it. And it just starts Ooh. this pandemic. You know, this was about, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago, you know, before the real plague. But now I... I just never followed through and wrote it. And now it's, oh, so we're so <laughs> full of zombies. It's like, uh, you know, I've almost like, uh, but I, I, I like, so I, I, I kind of get, I understand completely where you start this idea of, of these things, but I thought that would be interesting because I'd never seen anything like that at the time. So no, I'm, I'm excited. I want to read your books. Um, so, which of your characters would you most like to have a drink with? Oh my God, uh, that's easy. It would be Terzan. He's, he's a demon that I made up. He's supposed to be one of the fallen. And uh, he was like uh, Lucifer's enforcer. Okay. And then at, uh, at the end of the first game, he kind of stood up with Michael uh, against Lucifer. But He's just a real smart ass son of a bitch, and he's a lot of fun. And yeah, he's he's you know next to Kane, my favorite character out of the books. And he's really just a secondary character, but I love him. Yeah, sometimes those secondary and tertiary characters, they're they're like spicy mustard. You don't you don't want a lot of them, but when you get it, you love it. Just a little those little yeah. bits when it comes in, it seasons things. But they become your favorite to write. I totally get that. With a ca large cast of characters, those mm -hmm. those minor characters are the ones that you have the most fun with. Like they, they like take on a personality. Like, oh, I didn't expect this. That's yeah, awesome. I'm play with you. Yeah. yeah. No, I. Yes. My inner smartass is taking over, and that uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I have a few characters like that in my cozy series, which is something I don't normally would never have written, but. I have these characters now like, okay, I'm only telling four books in this series and I, I want to showcase these characters more frequently because I just love them. I just love writing them, you know, so now I, I get it. So now you're having a drink 
with your demon, what would be the first question you would ask him? You want to go back to my place? <laughs> oh my God, that sounds awful. I'm sorry, but he's 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 a fun stud. So yeah, that would probably be the first thing. Hey, let's have a drink and, you know, take off. <laughs> yeah, you, you live in a state with legal recreational cannabis. So, you know, why not? <laughs> nice. Okay, good. Um, let's, yeah, let's. <laughs> oh, nothing to be embarrassed about. <clears throat> um, let's let's talk about your your plotting and your creative process. Um, you know what what is your creative process? If you can if you could explain your process as a writer, because I always find that intriguing. Every writer has a different process. We all start with ideas. You know, we all finish with a final product. But how we get there, everyone's different. So I like to know how you get to where you need to go. Oh, geez, it's a combination of things, I think. Uh, mostly, uh, it, it starts in my dreams. You know, I, I take things from these crazy dreams I have, and I think, huh. Now, with pain, uh, you know, certain things will set it off. I was always fascinated by pain. And I watched, you know, you've seen The Seventh Sign with Demi Moore. Okay, well, that kind of, you know, added another little spark to my brain with this. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that it was Pilot in that movie who, you know, was immortal. And, uh, okay, well, this this sent me back to Kane. And, uh, but, so that kind of got it started. And then I love those prophecy movies. The Christopher Walken prophecy movie, and uh, you know, just the whole Bible lore. But uh, usually, it's just the silliest thing will will set it off. Like Lucifer in the book, I I used to have a nightmare, recurring nightmare, where he was chasing me. I was being chased by Satan, and I could describe him perfectly. And I, you know, I knew it was a guilt dream. Okay, I've done something, and and you know, I, that it was wrong, and now it's haunting me. But and right before he would grab me, I'd wake up, and so yeah, I already had these people in my head, and it was just a matter of getting them out. And uh, well, where did the story want to go? Well, you know, Cain, guilt. He was the first killer. So he went around and, you know, uh, started butchering all of his bloodline. So for generations, he killed off his own bloodline so that the curse would not continue. And then yeah, when it, he comes across his however many great-grandson, uh, Magnus, which, uh, you know, I make fun of that name the whole way through the book, but... Uh, and he he kills him. That's yeah. He loved this kid. This this kid was uh, just like his brother, who he killed, and so it's all twisted and tormented over it. And well, uh, anyway, yeah, it's just the little things, kind of, and then it just goes. That that's my process. I just kind of add here and there, depending on where the story takes me. Like I said, with the characters. You know, sometimes somebody I didn't think is anything ends up being something and, 
we just go on from there. But generally, it just is something that sparks in my head during a dream or a nightmare or whatever, and I use it. Okay. It kind of segues into my next question. I was going to ask about your organization. Are you a pantser or plotter? And it sounds like you're a pantser. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, my new book it started out, I wanted to do a uh, murder mystery where indie authors were being killed off. Uh, and uh, this one indie author who goes on Facebook starts noticing people disappearing, you know, the other authors. But then I had this nightmare and I started writing it down and the book went somewhere else completely. And now it's a horror story instead of a murder mystery. Interesting. So I don't know where I'll end up. That's interesting. As a plotter, um, pants, being a pantser would drive me crazy. But <laughs> I've heard the same thing from pantsers. I couldn't plot ahead because it would ruin it for me. You know, so I think it's uh, that's what I find most fascinating. And what I love doing the show most is other than, you know, meeting other writers and talking about writing is is how different everyone is in approaching, you know, and it really falls into the two camps, plotters and, and pantsers. And 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 a lot of the writers I do interview are pantsers and they all say, like, I don't know where it's going to go. I just I want to know how it's going to end, too. And <clears throat> part of my anxiety starts like just racing through me like how could you not know how it's going to end so that you could leave breadcrumbs to, to point to the end you know uh, you know and i think that part of my process was informed by you know, to use the word informed uh by my years in academia you know as a student and as an instructor teaching my students how to write organized developed you know logical academic writing which has to have structure so i've just internalized that over decades of of work in academia and that's the way I use it. I've always been a plotter. I would get ideas. I'm a lister. I brainstorm, get ideas. Then I kind of develop them and shape them and organize them. And then I, I draft because there's still plenty of room for me when I'm drafting because just because I have, you know, my current work book is, has a 26 page outline, but that doesn't mean it's not going to cover everything. You still have to get from point A to point B to point C by laying sentences and you know there's still plenty of opportunity to where invention meets intention meets imagination meets discovery you know but um i have to know where i'm going so you know because i'm pushing towards something but but no that's fascinating um i love how you started off with one genre and ended up with another that, that's that's fantastic you know do you yeah, ever I'm, I'm, am i now multi-genre because I, I do the dark fantasy, the horror, the poetry. I just, I just love stories, you know. So I, uh, who knows where I'll go next? We'll have to see. I love that. I love that. Um, well, so, what part of the writing process do you like the most? The actual process of writing, you know, from the whole the whole nine yards. Ah. Uh, I think when when I, you know, have it in my head and I, I figured out, okay, this is where we're at and this is where we're going and this is how we'll end. And I can just sit and, and write and then I can go back and read it and be like, oh, that's so cool. Or no, that sucks. Yeah, you just get to go back and forth with yourself. But uh, 
I, I really enjoy when I can just go and go and go. And then I come to like right now I'm at the very end of the story. I, I love the ending because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, but as you're writing it, you surprise yourself. It's like, oh my God, this just happened. What if, and here's the what if again, and you just kind of take off with it. And it, it never ends up exactly where you think it will. I think the surprise is, is the best part for me. To, to see where it goes, what kind of life it takes on. That's interesting. Um, <clears throat> because some of my books, like I have, um, when I'm, I'm doing this four book cozy series, what I'm doing then afterwards is uh, taking the setting and the characters and I'm doing a horror novel with the same setting and characters. So it's not gonna be cozy at all. Um, it's, it's quite dire, quite horrifying. But I've already written the end. I mean, you know, I know exactly how this book's going to end because I wrote, I wrote the end of the book. Um, you know, it's like a punch to the gut. I'm like, <gasps> you know, I was sucking breath like, oh, oh, my God. You know, so I, I, I'm excited about that book because I've already written that last sentence, you know. Um, but I can imagine it's just as exciting to not know how you're going to get there or because you've got to know something will click in you when you feel like, ah this is the right end. This is how we stop. Is that how it feels to you? Yes, exactly how it feels. It's like, wow, this, this is just mm -hmm. awesome. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's the feeling of, yeah, almost like having a child. <laughs> oh my God, I have put everything I have into this. And now look, this, this is where it ended up. It, it, it's just the best feeling in the entire world. Here it is. Well, what part of the writing process? No drama, nothing that compares to the feeling when you, when you see that, that final bit and you know, hey, I did this. Wow. Yeah. And it's really cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, what part of the writing process do you like the least? Editing. I hate editing. <laughs> I do. Um, Why? Because. Well, because I second guess myself and I don't like doing that. Uh, I second guess where the story went. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll be like, oh my God, that is a really awesome paragraph. <laughs> and then other times it'll be like, ew. Uh, but yeah, I'll second guess myself and, and then I'll start messing with it when I know better. You know, I, I know, no, this is how it should be. And then I'll go back and put it back the way it was. So, yeah, I, I hate second-guessing myself because usually, you know, that first instinct that you had is the good one, at least with me. Okay. So, yeah, try you're, to... You're, uh, you're, you're, writing, you're writing, I mean, as a pantser, you kind of write with your gut, you know, to bring yeah. another mixed metaphor there. You, and you, so you, you, you got to kind of go with that, you know. That makes sense as a pantser. You know, I mean, there are ways, the more we write, hopefully the more confident and more effective we'll be with our prose and become better writers, but you still have a gut feeling whether something is working or not, you know? Yes. Yeah, I totally get that. 
Um, when did you first come to realize what your writer voice was? You know, voice is, is for, for people who, who may not know the term voice means the way a writer says something. Because the way I write is going to be my writer voice is different than yours, different than, than everybody else's. So when did you begin realizing what your voice was? I think I didn't realize really till after the first book. Uh, and I had people tell me, you write just like you sound. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you tell your story just like you, uh, it, well, you know, my own uh, little inflections and and my own little, uh, like I used to always say, Bell Walmart instead of Walmart. And I'll do that kind of thing in my book. And, and people seem to enjoy it. So, okay, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, I think it was after that. And then I realized, well, you know what? It, yeah, writing as me, I should just be me. Because I am putting myself in this book. Uh, it is a big part of me. Well, just go with it. You know, don't try and sound like, I don't know, Nora Roberts or uh, J.R. Ward or whoever. Just, you know, be best. So yeah, I think it was after Kane that I really discovered that mm -hmm. yeah and if you're writing exactly what it is that you want to write it's going to be it's going to feel a lot more comfortable you know and, yes, and when you're more comfortable it comes off better in the book i agree right my second book is my favorite book so far because it was the first time where i was completely 100 percent me on the page and, and my first book was the cozy. It's normally a genre I wouldn't write in, but I, I was being respectful of the, of the, of the genre and the conventions, but there's no murder, there's no blood, there's no swearing, you know? Um, but my second book more than makes up for that. And, uh, you know, I use all the words, all the bad ones that my mom doesn't want to hear. Um, but it, as, as a writing exercise, I felt completely free. And I think that's why it's always going to be my favorite book because I went, I read it. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is hundred percent Mark justice. And whether you like it or not is irrelevant. I'm happy with it because here is me on the page. And um, no, I, t I totally get that. And that really has inspired me to try to do more of that, you know, I think with this series, because it's a splatter Western, so it's grim and dark and violent anyway. And it's a tale of revenge. You know, nothing better in this world. So it just lended itself to all those things come together. And I know this is how my horror book's going to be, the one I told you about. It's going to be completely 100% unfettered id on the page. You know, just scraping down the darkest recesses of my horrible, vile imagination and vomiting it up on the page in the most beautifully horrific ways I can imagine, you know, and you know, that, yeah. So I'm really, I, I'm really excited about that book. It's a few down the road. I got to finish this cozy series, you know, because I'm creating more characters in the cozy series, every book. So I have more people to kill off in the, in the horror book. Yes. You know? so, Cause everybody dies. Spoiler alert. The whole fucking town is just, everyone dies um people are saying you know you can't do that you can't kill these characters off people love them i'm like i can watch me 
read it. You, you were going to be horrified at how I kill some of these characters, you know. Um, yeah, it's fun. Okay. I think I have much more violent in Heretic Faith than I did with Cain. Uh, yeah, Cain, but it was violent, but more as in fight scenes, violent. Whereas with Faith, there's violence through the whole book. It, 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 I don't know. It's like the most, it's the most romantic, horrifying thing ever. Uh, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's got, you know, all the love and anguish and blah, blah. But uh, yeah, it also has, you know, a guy having his penis ripped off by hand in a graveyard. So it, it uh, yeah, it's much more violent and bloody than, than Cain was. But I had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to go there. Um, yeah. <laughs> some, yeah. And it's, yeah, there is something wonderful. That's why good, you know, like Stephen King talks about horror films. And he equates them with like um, sick jokes. And they both have a dirty job to do. That's appeal to the worst in us. Because. We, we all have these anti-civilized feelings just beneath the thin veneer of civilization on top. But horror films and horror books and all these things appeal to, because they allow us to vent those bad feelings in a safe way, you know, so we're not acting upon them like some of the more horrific people, horrible people in our society. So if I can get it out on a page, you know, um, it's still... There are times where I'm even aware, because, you know, nothing offends me. There were times, there's one scene in particular in Gage Black, my splatter western, where I knew, like, oh, oh, man, okay, this is dark. I mean, this is really, really awful. I've never written anything this bad or dark before. Let's go. You know, and it was just like, I felt so good writing it, even though I knew, like, oh, you're never coming back from this. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that, you know. So I had to caution my wife. Um, she, she couldn't read the whole book. She stopped about a third of the way through. She goes, I just can't get the images out of my head. <laughs> so I'm like, well, God damn it. I want you to read it. But I, I appreciated the fact that it was so, I guess it was too graphic for her. Um, but I even told her, I said, look, from page 112 to 127, don't read. Do not read this section. <laughs> um, so I know I, I get that. Uh, you go to those places. In, in, the uh, Adam has come back to get revenge on Cain for killing his son, and he's he thinks he's on a holy mission. So you know he's like this uh, fire and brimstone coming to uh, get all the fornicators and the sinners and so on. <coughs> and the graveyard scene has been done over and over and over. You know, how many people can you kill in a graveyard? Yeah, they were having sex in a graveyard. Let's kill them. So I said to myself, what is something that has not been done? So I'm not going to give give everything away, but I, I had to uh, come up with something that would be the huge sin and a great way to... Uh, for Adam to uh, kill these people in the graveyard that has not been done before. And uh, I think I pulled it off. 
I'm not going to give it away because this is probably one of the best scenes I've ever written. But so we got to do a book swap right now, right? You know, I mean, I'm going to give you Gage Black. I would definitely want a copy of that. So we can both read those parts. Like, you're going to go to page 112, like, okay, what the hell did Mark do? Right. <laughs> I get it. No, no, no. I, that's. Yeah, I'll just dug you, you know, I'll highlight it for you. Uh, no, no, no. I, I love that. I mean, I love that you recognize here's something that I've never seen before that's going to be really dark. I'm going to push that envelope and boundary in my way. And then you realize when you've pulled it off, like, I think I did it. I think I've done something I've never seen before. And then you're happy. You're proud of it. Yes. That, yeah. That's what I want to do. I mean, the, Adam, you know, kind of gets flung into this graveyard and digs himself out and then comes upon this. But like I said, you know, they, we've had how many horror movies where the teenagers are in the graveyard and, you know, here comes the hasher, slacker, sure, right. slacker, and, and uh, I thought, but how can I make this different? Yeah. And I really think I did it. I mean, I had somebody tell me, I got the book and I opened it up and this was the page I opened it to and holy shit, what have you done? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, I did it. <laughs> so That's yeah, fantastic. you got to, and, you know, because you don't want to keep, you know, regurgitating the same thing everybody else has done. Right. Yeah. Obviously, you know, it, there's a lot of different plots that you can just kind of, that are there already. You know, a lot of things have been done and done. But when you can find new ways to do them, I think that's always interesting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, do you do any kind of research for your books? I know these are based on, you know, your twisted Bible tales, but do you do other kinds of research when you write? And if so, what kinds? Uh, well, uh, yes, I do. Uh, now, when I watch horror movies, I tell the children, go away, I'm doing research. <laughs> but uh, that doesn't count. Um, but like the other day, I was uh, working on the ending of the book and, you know, I had to look up the dates of the summer solstice and and uh, in the new Cain book, I have uh, Judas is, is in the new Cain book. And so, you know, you, you do all the research on Judas. Uh, uh, like he's uh, the Jude Cariot in this book, which was an actual alternate name for Judas back in the day. So, yeah, you know, I... I uh, dive into as much you know detail as I can and try and be as informed as I can mm -hmm. you just you know on different points some things you got to leave to the imagination but you still like to uh you know keep historical facts right. well at least you know, with, uh, you yeah. know, bible stuff as correct as possible I did I've actually had people the old cover of Cain uh was an african-american man on the cover i had white people who wouldn't buy the book because there was an african-american man on the cover and i had black people yelling at me about the book because there was an african-american man on the cover so i was i was using black people to sell the book oh. and mm. i was I was like, look people i was just trying to keep it historically correct right the tigers it, and the euphrates where do they meet 
Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ had blonde hair and blue eyes. Okay, go join the KKK. You know, that's, that's sure. the kind of stuff those idiots believe, you know. Oh, we believe in Jesus, but we hate Jews. Well, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. So, yeah, I do try and keep some kind of historical accuracy yeah. to, to my characters and to the stories. And, you know, if it offends people, don't read it. You know, it's just that simple. Right. Uh, There's it, a reason we're born with more than one middle finger, so we don't wear the one out. Thank you. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah I do uh, research and, and try and keep my historical facts accurate. And, and you research enough to where you know it, but you don't want it to sound like a history lesson. But the, so those details are really important for people who know that history. You know, and you don't have to research everything, just enough to when you're writing about something, you write intelligently and you're writing the right thing. You know, yeah, I, I get it. I did research for Gage Black and then my last book, which uh, was set, um, you know, Death's Head is set in the early 1930s in and around Haiti and deals with voodoo and things like that. So I researched the history of Haiti and what was going on and I researched voodoo and I wanted to write, make sure I wrote about it intelligently and also respectfully of the religion you know and yeah. um that was great and as an accident academic i still love the research you know i enjoy doing the research part i'm i love learning something new and i'm being able to incorporate it in a story where it feels seamless like this is all you know historically accurate information but i'm not going to bludgeon you over the head with it it's just i'm creating the world that's accurate that's real you know and uh, yeah, I, in Cain, you know, the, the angelic assassins, uh, I read uh, the Testament of Solomon. Have you ever read the Testament of Solomon? Not the Testament. Yeah. I'm aware of it. Uh, it's, Is it's that the one where he builds the temple with the help of the demons? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah he, King Solomon supposedly had this ring that mm -hmm. gave him control over the demons. So the swords that these assassins have uh, each have a bit of this ring infused into them to help them kill demons. Okay. So, yeah, you never know where your research is going to take you. And you know, I'll sit and watch the Discovery Channel and the History Channel and, you know, on their historical sites that they'll be taking notes. You know, any anywhere you can get those little bits of information that can just add a little bit to the story you're telling. I yeah, I, I would much rather sit and uh, watch, you know, documentaries than just idiocy on TV these days. Uh, you know, I, I have no desire to see who the next, uh, you know, singing sensation is going to be. I would rather sit there and watch uh, what really happened to Roanoke, you know? Right. Yeah, we still so, can't figure that out. No, no, that's good. That's good. Um, do you have a favorite time of day to write? Yes, I do. I usually start around seven o'clock at night. Uh, I don't know why, but that seems to work best for me. If I try and write during the day, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, my laundry needs to get done. Or, uh, okay, is, is the kid at school, you know, is he on his computer in there doing school and, and things like that. So after I have everybody fed and they're doing whatever they do for the evening, I know I can sit down and relax and concentrate on what I'm doing. So I usually start at seven o'clock and then go as far as I want to go for the rest of the night. Nice.
do you when you're writing do you listen to music or uh do you have any other kinds of distractions when you're writing or do you need it completely silent i usually have well i have my playlist on my computer and uh, i turn that on uh, i've learned that if i try and keep the headphones on and somebody's yelling mom then they'll come in here and start pesting me so <laughs> i i just play it over the computer and i have it blasting and and it helps me anyway. You know, if, if I'm writing and I just kind of, okay, need to stop and think a minute. And then I'll just start getting into the song and, you know, it'll chill me out for a minute and get my head straight. And then I'll go back and pick up where I was. What is it that uh, you listen I, to? What do you like music wise? Uh, I'm a metalhead. <laughs> uh, Motley Crue and Avenged Sevenfold and yeah uh oh my goodness yeah i like i like the 80s hair bands obviously well you know not the not the w bands they were terrible but you know the good guys <laughs> and uh as far as you know i love the pretty reckless and and things like that i kind of you know tailor my playlists to whatever i'm writing whatever the feel is that i'm writing i i have a playlist for each book Okay. Yeah. Music really can help you get in a nice mindset. You know, it can really help and um, put you somewhere. Like I always have a playlist, a writing list. I, I can't have music with words, you know, singing. It's got to just be music and a lot of thirties, big, you know, swing. And I love um, Lionel Hampton. He's a vibraphone player. It's kind of light and bouncy, but when I, um, was writing death's head i had a, a big five hour loop uh, track of um traditional haitian and african voodoo music drums and chants and things like that that i would put on and i really would like get into the feeling and the rhythms of the voodoo drums and uh allowed me to kind of get into this space so no i i totally understand the importance of of music as a distraction you know, it's helpful to, to kind of put you into a different mindset to help you write. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, tell me how you felt seeing your book in print for the first time. Oh, well, there's like no greater thing. Uh, I think I cried, <laughs> you know, tears of joy. It was it was overwhelming because it was something, you know, it was the big dream. You know, some kids dream about being a rock star. I dreamed about being a writer. So when you think, you know, as, as you're growing up, that, you know, this is just something that's never going to happen. It, it's just going to be a dream you always have. And like I said, I was I was 50 when I published Game. And it was like after so many years my oldest son was 30 you don't think that the, you're going to realize his dreams you think okay i have spent my life as as a wife and a mother and and you know that's that's what my life is now and having that it was just like no that's not all it has to be you can have this so it was very overwhelming for me to, to do that and even now when I you know order my author copies 
of, of a new book, I'll just, you just sit there and stare at them and think, wow, I did this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just great for every little bit of it. I, I, I can't say enough about, you know, it, I'm grateful that uh, I was, I, I am living the dream. Right. Everything I ever dreamed is right there in front of me. It's, it's, I am truly grateful. That's all. That's wonderful. Um, have you ever read your own work a year or more after you published it? Oh, and, yeah. And what was that experience like for you to go back and reread a, a book of yours that you had written several years before? I, I think I was kind of like, wow, this is good. Because even now, you know, I, I think, you, well, you, you don't get anesthetized to it. But, you know, you talk about it so much to other people and, and you do the advertising and the promos and all that. And it just, it, you know, it becomes everyday ordinary in a way. And then when you go back and read what you have done, it's like, oh, wow, this, you know, hey, you know, maybe I, I do deserve a couple of those good reviews because this is really kind of awesome. So yeah, that's that. It, it still kind of blows me away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, because you've read it so many times. By the time you publish it, you kind of let it go in the world, and then you move on to the next project. You know, you're just creating. And when I started writing the second book of the Cozy series, it had been a couple of years because I'd written three books in between, and I had to go back and reread the first book because I had just forgotten everything about it. And I was dreading it a little bit because I thought, oh, I was waiting for the cringe moment. Like, oh God, this is going to be so horrible, you know? Um, And it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I was really surprised. There were a few moments that were a little saccharine because it's a Hallmark cozy. It's very sweet, um, literally. Um, But I was more surprised at like not remembering things that I'd written. Like I knew I wrote this book, but I don't remember (laughs) writing this book, you know, like, oh, that's actually, that's pretty good. Look at look at you go, yes. Mark! You magnificent son of a bitch! You know, um, it was it was it was pleasantly surprising, in a way, like because like I just had no recollection. And like, it actually it actually felt like a story. It felt like a book. It, characters like oh, I don't remember I don't remember this at all. You know, that was what was amazing. Like I was enjoying it as a reader, because I was just like I knew I knew what was going to happen, but I didn't know all the details. It's like I know I'm going to get to the end, but getting there was still an enjoying, enjoying experience. I'm like, Oh, well, this is pretty strange. It was pretty, pretty wonderful. Every now and then I'll go back to uh, find a blurb out of the book, you know, to use in a promo or something. And it'll be like, Oh, wow. That's really cool. (laughs) I I can't believe I did that. But uh, yeah, it's, I'll tell you what it's, it's kind of like, being published all over again but look what i did yeah it's a little surreal and and um i mean there's one thing when people you know tell you that that you're you like your book it's another thing altogether when people you don't know buy it and review it on amazon or something that's that still blows my mind that i get reviews from people you know who are still buying my stuff i'm like oh okay you know that's i sometimes you know it's just it's just very humbling in a way that Okay, well, that's really nice. I mean, I, I'm grateful for every person who reads it, who spends their hard-earned money to buy it, and then take the time to review it. You know, it's just, 
So no, that's interesting. That's, that's good. Time somebody recognized me. <laughs> I did. I was sitting out somewhere, you know, with, with a group of friends, and and this guy says to me, "Did you write Kane?" And I just sat there, and I'm thinking, Kane. Uh, oh my God! Yeah, that was me. It just kind of smacks you in the face because you don't think, you know. To me, I'm I'm goofy little Mary Beth from Adamstown. You know, I'm still just this little shy little mouse. You know, who doesn't say much and sits at home and reads and writes. And and having people recognize you is totally bizarre. I mean absolutely weird for me so when when i see something or somebody puts up a review and you know it's a really good review and sometimes it's just like who did that it wasn't me you know i'm just goofy little marabeth where did this come from <laughs> so yeah it's pretty awesome but i i still you know like i said i just like to tell stories and if people enjoy them, that's the bottom line right there. I'd, I'd like to tell stories and I would like people to enjoy them. And if they do, I'm grateful. That's great. That's great. You ever do any book shows like or places where you sell your books in person at all? No, I haven't. I think you would do really well. You have a, such an engaging personality. I think people would gravitate toward that, you know. And it, <laughs> yeah. I, um. I'm not sure, you know, I, I I haven't done one for a while because, you know, the plague's all around us, but there's a, a, a two women in, um, who have a, they do like craft shows and things like that. And they have this whole circuit in the area, you know, like 50 weeks a year or something. They are out doing these shows and all kinds of local vendors come and they're usually a writer or two. And um, I love going to these shows because it's, it's a, it's a different place to get my books out, you know, than online. And there are no like book shows in the area, but you can go to different places. And I think you would do really well there at, a, at an event oh. like that. I, I'll have to think about it this summer, you know, before with COVID and everything, I just didn't even try. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's, it's always something I thought about, but just never really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping to get back and do something maybe November, December. We'll see how the world is in, in six months. You know, can't plan that far ahead right now. Um, I, I do want to talk to you about your page on Facebook by the author, B-U-Y, the author. Um, can you talk a little bit about that page and, and why you started it? Oh, I love group. I do. It's, it's a wonderful place. Uh, I just, I, you know, after so long of uh, being on Facebook and doing the book promos, I realized that the more people know you personally, the more interested in your books they are. And I wanted a place where people could, uh, like when we have the author spotlight, which I need to put up another post about that soon, you know, anybody who's interested, uh, I do it for a few hours and, you know, you can pop in and out, but I always make people put up uh, uh, Well, I request, I don't make anybody do anything. Uh, I request that they put up a photo and a bio uh, so that people can get to know them. I think the more they know you personally and the more you engage, obviously, 
uh, the more interested they are in in reading your books. And group has just been so tremendous. I mean, everybody just supports each other and is welcoming. There is no drama. I love it. You know, I've seen a lot of groups where uh, advertisers and uh, you know these these little scam artists and things just take over the group, and uh, it, it, it's policed very well. But we really, I think, maybe two or three people have had to be blocked in the year that we've had it. And that's it. It's just a bunch of really great people. And I see a lot of, of good books. And then I get to share them. Usually I pick like one or two a day to share on my page. And then uh, right now I'm like, my TBR list is overflowing. Uh, but I usually, I, I'm trying to do a book a month to read and review. And I'm, I try to be careful <laughs> of what I read and when I'm writing because I don't want to be influenced by somebody else's work. So I try to pick it out of my genre. But uh, you know, I, I, I do try and, and read and review a book a month. And I usually, you know, it's, it's somebody from group. And uh, I just, it, it's a very good group and I'm proud of it. I think it's, it's done really well. And I, I also like, you know, like uh, your show. And uh, then there's another lady I know who does live reads. And I like to promote those kind of things in group two so that authors can, you know, get their work out there. Yeah, I've, I've been involved only maybe six weeks or something. Um, and I've seen probably 100 people join in those six weeks. I mean, there's people like every day coming in. You know, multiple people. So it's growing leaps and bounds. So yeah, that's wonderful. I found it to be particularly supportive as well. Um, as as uh, the group, you know, I'm on also on Instagram. There are a lot of writers on Instagram, and they, that's a very supportive network as well. You know, so. But, is, I've, yeah. I've started doing more on there than I used to in the last few weeks. I've, I've met a lot of nice people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm on other writer groups on Facebook that, you know, they don't do a whole lot. And honestly, sometimes I just don't have the time to engage and and there's just so much else to, to do. But I, I do like your mission. I do like, because that's kind of a reason why I'm doing this show is is providing another way to let people shine and, and not only have a good conversation, but allowing them to say, you know, here's who I am and here's what I write. And because and, I believe there's just room on top of the hill for everybody. You know, there's, there's no competition here. Um, you know, everyone has room to plant their flag and, and see who salutes it, you know, and uh, why, why not? You know, I'm not competing with you. Uh, I just want to write my stuff and, and hope that someone enjoys it, you know? Well, I think uh, <coughs> indie authors are a very supportive community. They really are. You know, you always have your assholes, pardon my mouth, but you, you do. And I've had, you know, one or two it, it come at me. Uh, one guy decided to tell me uh, that I was, uh, I don't know, what, what, how, how did he put it, just uh, a silly little pink-haired woman or, or some such. And uh, 
I'd, I'd ended up saying, you know, I, I've had worse insults from my mama. Yeah, give me some more. So you can't let people intimidate your people like that. But the community has just welcomed me from day one. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I when I started Facebook, my aunt had published a, a book called uh, The Shoebox Effect. And uh, it was uh, basically a story of her giving her daughter up for adoption. Uh, she said, you know, you need to be on Facebook. When I first got published, I was like, oh, I don't do Facebook. What's that? You know? And she said, look for your genre and join groups and, and get to know people. And I started doing this. And I remember what I just gushed over this man's poetry. I thought it was wonderful. And I'm just going on and on about it. As a matter of fact, that one poem that I was gushing over, I, I put up every year on uh, the anniversary of the day I lost my father, which nobody knows, but now they do. <laughs> you know, I never say why I'm posting it. It's just, you know, for me personally, it makes me feel better. But uh, turned out that this, this man I'm gushing over, uh, well, his poetry anyway, uh, was a best-selling indie author. <laughs> and. I had been talking to him for a while. I had no idea. And then I felt like such a dope, you know, like, oh my God, here's dumb me talking to this, this best-selling author. And uh, well, now he is the other administrator in my group. <laughs> so you just, you, nobody, there's not a lot of judgment. There, there's no judgment and, uh, it's just a wonderful community and that's about all I can say people are good to each other and you know the ones that aren't you just tell them to go away I, I find uh, the support uh, as well and, and I think you you get back what you bring to it you know and there's I don't know uh, you know I think that ego comes in out of a sense of fear you know, um, worry that you're afraid of not being good enough or something. Someone's going to be better than you or prove to you that, you know, what we all have our own angsts and fears and, um, you know, but I, I do, I do agree with you. You know, I have other friends who write and I may not like everything that they write, but that's not, that's not the point, is it? I mean, I'm supporting them because they're my friends and I want them to do well. You know, my own personal tastes are irrelevant and I just want, I want to see them achieve as much success as they're able to. And anything I can do to help, you know, whether it's through helping edit or just feedback or if they want to blurb or just to encourage and cheer them on, like I'm happy to do that because first and foremost, they're my friends and, you know, and again, there's no competition. I'm not, there are an infinite number of slots for books out there, you know, or anything that you want to do creatively, you know, there's just, there's just no competition. So no, I like your page and, um, you know, I, I think it's good. I'm, I'm glad that it's growing, you know, and uh, so yeah, there's quite a, quite a lot of people. There's a lot more people on there that I need to get to know. That, that were on there before, you know, the last 50 or so, it's like, I have no idea 
who these people are, what they write. Um, maybe that's something, you know, have you ever thought about making like a database, like a list of everyone in the group and like, here's who they are and what they write kind of thing? No, but that's a good idea. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know when I'd have time. But, uh, well, every, you know, everyone can like, everyone could submit it and then you could basically just kind of copy and paste into a, a Word document or something or Excel sheet. And then we have like a directory. Uh, well, the other day I, I was shocked. You know, we had our one year anniversary. I, I didn't even realize it. It came up in my memories on Facebook. And I was like, oh my God, it has not been a year. So, you know, to, to celebrate the anniversary uh, for 24 hours, I shared everybody's books. You know, anybody who would post their book, I shared it on my page and uh, I shared it in other groups and I shared it on Instagram and the Twitter. And, you know, I just put everybody's stuff out there. And I was ha happy to see so many people that posted their books because those are the people that are, that are engaging the most. And I know there's maybe like 50 or 60 people that engage a lot out of what, almost a thousand. Yeah, so I would like to people get involved and, and use the opportunity. So that's why I said about once a month, I will put up a thing about the spotlight. Anybody who wants to be on the spotlight <clears throat> or do a live read or, you know, anything you want to do to show yourself off and be my guest, you know, that's what it's there for. Nobody is going to criticize. Nobody's going to say, oh, well, you know, don't be showing off. No, I want you to show off. That's what this is for. I, I, I would like to do one of the live reads myself, but I'm afraid I'll get all tongue tied. So I haven't done it yet. You but, know, you uh, could um, do a live read, but you could record yourself ahead of time and then just play the video. No one's going to know any different. I was thinking <laughs> because I know me, I'll get all blah, blah, blah. but uh, yeah, it's 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 a great thing, and I just want to see people take advantage of it. And I have had people say, "Well, how much does it cost?" No, 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 honey, this doesn't cost anything. This is just for you, you know, uh, to help yourself. So I I generally try and put that when I say, "Hey, author spotlight." If you want to join, there's no price for this. This is just for you. Because, you know, I guess, you know, newer writers, like I said, I was an idiot. I didn't understand any of this. I was, I was a total babe in the woods. It took me a long time to start weeding people out of the friends list, too. You know, you just accept every friend request, and then it's like, you suddenly are getting some really interesting things on your messenger <laughs> and it's like okay you need to go bye bye now how do i get rid of this <laughs> so it's a whole learning experience right and uh i'm i'm a little jaded at this point on some things but uh yeah i it, it, it's a good way to uh you know interact with other like-minded people you don't realize how many people out there you have so much in common with as far as writing until you're on Facebook and you start to interact with them and, and, and you feel not so, uh, because a lot of writers are introverts. You don't feel quite so alone in the world anymore. And you have people to kind of, you know, say, hey, you got this, you can do this. You know, and I see people
because a lot of, you know, it can be daunting when you're new. I've only been at it for three years and I still feel lost sometimes. Mm -hmm. Navigating social media. I hate Twitter. It's the meanest place ever. I hate to go on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> it's I'm, like, can you people be angrier? Or it's easy to be. Thoughts? It's easy to be brave. The keyboard warriors come out. You know, it's such a coward's way of of showing bravery. It's cheap, you know. And I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to be snotty. It's like, if you're gonna say something, say it to my face. You know, I'm fine with that. Just, just say it to my face. You know. Um, but, well, like uh, the guy you made fun of my pink hair. I I respect you more for coming at me uh, than I would for you know taking a shot behind my back. Yeah, it, coming it's, at me like that. yeah, it's just cheap, you know. Um, uh, just a, just a few more questions, and we're going to wrap things up, Beth. Um, what is your writer fantasy, if you have one? Oh my, I, I would say. Uh, to hit the top 10. I don't have a book in the top 10. All right. That's a good fantasy. You know, people, not not money-wise, you know, how I give them away, but just to have that many people say they enjoyed my book. Yeah, I get it. What advice would you give for anyone who wants to write? Do it. Just do it. I mean, really, that's the best advice there is, really. I think you you can do it. You don't have to be perfect at it. Just tell a good story. I think a lot of people get intimidated who've never written anything. Mm -hmm. um, And they think that they have to have some kind of formal training. I mean, there is something to story craft and things like that. But... Uh, you don't have to have a degree in, in writing to be able to tell a good story. Um, and I think if you just start, you know, like this cliches, it sounds, you know, you write what you know, you, you start with the, the people around you, the places around you start with something short, you know, short fiction, um, writing down memories you had of, of childhood or inventing something like you do. You take a memory and you kind of turn it into a story. You know, you don't have to start off with a novel. And, uh, you know. Readers make the best writers, I think. Yeah. You and learn the, so much just by reading. Right. It's a, it, it, it's inextricable. Is, is penetrating. Things that you uh, aren't even aware of. Yeah, just the style and, and syntax and, and yeah, I don't know what they're putting together a paragraph or writing dialogue. You pick so much up from reading books that you don't even realize uh, what's soaking in. So yes. reading, I, ha- I always have a book somewhere. If, if I'm sitting down eating, I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just how it is. Read everything, right, as much yeah. as you can. No, I agree. I wholly agree on that. And lastly, Beth. Where can we find your books? <laughs> Amazon. I'm on Amazon. I, I, I don't do anywhere else anymore. Uh, I, I tried, but I, I wouldn't pay as much attention to where they were on other sites. Amazon seems to be the, 
the best. So uh, yes, you can find my links on my Facebook page and, uh, or, you know, look me up, you Google me and it'll tell you where to get them. Uh, yeah. And on Facebook, it's by the author, B-U-Y, the author on Facebook. And you're also on Facebook as well. And Amazon. Excellent. Uh, Beth, I want to thank you for swinging by and having a, a conversation with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for putting up with my little chitter chatter all morning. <laughs> oh, no, it was fine. Thank you for putting up with my hacking and coughing and, you know, no, no, this is, this has been good. I, I really like this show um, because of what we've talked about. Like, I feel like I know you a lot more as a person and as a writer and um, it makes me excited to see what, what you write. And that's, that's what's wonderful about this show. At the end of every show, I've learned about an author now who I want to read their work. You know, I want to know more about them. I want to, I want to keep on engaging with them. And so it's, it's incredibly satisfying in that, in that regard. So, you know, if I have to be selfish um, about it, I'm, I'm, I'm getting so much out of this as well from learning about writers. And, and if I can help, like you're a writer spotlight, if I can help shine the light on you as a writer and your stuff, then so much the better. This is how we, we help one another. We cross pollinate and, and that's a good thing for everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Good. I am glad. Yeah, me too. Um, it's, it's been very a great morning great way to start the day. So, I'm going to do my commercial and then we're going to get out of here. Okay. All right. You've been watching and listening to Between the Lines. You can find us at unsaneradio.com. Listen to full episodes or download to your device. You can watch us on our YouTube page, which is where you're at right now, Between the Lines podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And you can also find us on the Hotel Talk channel on Roku. If you know someone who would like our show, tell them about us. And if you're a writer who would like to join me for a chat, Email me at betweenthelines54 at yahoo.com. That's betweenthelines54 at yahoo.com. And Beth, here's my cheesy outro. See you next time, Between the Lines. <laughs>